We are back with singer-actor extraordinaire Alex Newell for this episode of Don't At Me. As a performer, you're always just like, I get little pieces of me taken away each and every ounce of my day. Mm-hmm. Please cry on cue, be funnier, mm-hmm. sing higher, sing it perfect, dance harder, wear this, don't wear that, be in hair and makeup, do this, do that. And so it's just like, when I walk into a bar, it's like, I'm. my one goal is to have a good time. And mm-hmm. I do not care if all of you are going to reject me. I, at the end of the day, I'm going to have a good time. And for some strange and odd reason, that confidence pulls people to me. We're talking growing up black and queer in the church, honey, and how he helped shape his character, Mo, the gender non-conforming neighbor and friend on NBC's Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Stay tuned for that and so much more. Hello, Culture Machines, and welcome back for another episode of Don't At Me. I'm your host, Justin Simeon, and I'm super glad to have a special live audience joining us today via Zoom. We will be incorporating your questions as we talk to today's guests, and I'm so, so, so excited to introduce Alex Newell. He made his way onto screens and into our hearts uh, when he competed on the Glee Project, uh, though he didn't win, he basically won, honey, and joined the cast of Glee as Unique Adams, uh, one of the first, uh, one of the network television's first transgender characters. Following his love of music, he's released his own music, fabulous music, such as singles, Mama Told Me, Boy, You Can Keep It, and he now stars on NBC's Zoe Extraordinary Playlist, which is now out on Peacock, Hulu, and was just nominated for Outstanding New Program for the TCA Awards. Congratulations and welcome. Thank you so much. I, I feel like my energy is like is like so overwhelming right now. No, it's not. It's, I've had a lot of coffee It's, it's today. not at all. Are you on the West Coast or East? I'm on the West Coast. Where are you? I, I'm on the East Coast. So we're winding oh. down over here. Oh, so it's just nighttime. It's like, <laughs> it's time it to is. like get guys. And it's raining today. <laughs> it is. Honey, I'm wearing a turtleneck. This isn't well, just for you to look well, cute. Well, it's fashionable as well. So I don't know. <laughs> it's going to outside. <laughs> I love it. So what are you, how have you been enjoying your uh, quarantines? What are you? Um, I call it quarantini. Okay. Because I go through a bottle and a half a night. So, yes. Whoa. <laughs> Bottle and a half of what, may I ask? Oh my goodness! Well, at the beginning, it was hard alcohol, and then okay. my skin said, "Who are you?" And so I said, "Oh, well, let's not do that. I'm only twenty something." Um, <laughs> yes, twenty something. So now, so now we're just doing bottles of Whispering Angel. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, I, I'm in. Okay. What's that? Soda rose. Listen, I'm in California where we have other kinds of bottles that are perfectly legal to order and have delivered right to your door. And that's oh, my nightcap. That's, that's a blessing in the skies. <laughs> it is. So, okay, we're going to talk about Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist right away. But before yeah. we do, um, is there, have there been any either guilty pleasures, no guilt-free pleasures? Like, what have you been watching, fanboying I- over? I quite literally just finished watching uh, One Day at a Time on Netflix. Oh, yeah, so good. Um, Rita, Rita Moreno is like, I can't say her name that fast. Rita Moreno is so amazing. <laughs> Legendary. Like, oh, uh, my goodness. I also didn't know she was in um, The King and I. I was like, that doesn't seem right, but you know what? I like it. 
Yes, it doesn't seem right. And actually, when I found that out, I went back and watched The King and I, and I was like, oh, this is why this isn't shown in schools. Yeah, she was out there. Yes, Um, no one plays their race in the 40s. Yeah, no one cares. It gets me every time I watch this episode. It's just like yeah. like humble beginnings and family. Yeah. And like seeing a Latina mom reminds me of my black mom. So I much. love that. It's the same. I love that so much because, you know, they say that film and TV is an empathy machine. And when you grow up black and queer, like I'm forced to see myself in straight white people all of the time. And frankly, like it has its advantages. So, you know, part of this, this shift that I think people are feeling in society is it's really an opportunity to see yourself. Um, if you happen to be whatever the default is of your particular society or country or time. Yeah, growing up, I really thought that I was Meryl Streep. I still think that I'm Meryl Streep. I think, first of all, I think that you are Meryl Streep. And if the world was put the right way, that should have been instantly recognizable. (laughs) But I'm hoping people recognize it in Zoe because your performance as Mo is spectacular. It's singular. And um, one of the things I want to talk to you too is just about... um, how you've been like a big part of shaping that character and shaping, you know, the stage for yourself. So talk to me a little bit about Zoe. How did the project come to you? Um, and, and where did it all start? Um, it all started like I was ending a run on Broadway. We closed the show in January. I had done like a guest star. Gabrielle Bay was doing her directorial debut on Empire. Oh. And she found a role wow. and she was just like, hey, I want you to play this role. And I was just like, who me? Really? Yes. And now, what show, like, yeah. what show on Broadway were you on? Uh, Once This Island. Just screaming into a sand pit eight shows a week. Um, but I finished that, and then she asked me to do that, and I, like, directly closed the show on a Sunday night, flew to Chicago on a Monday morning, filmed it on a Tuesday, flew back to um, New York on a Wednesday, and got Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist wow. on my desk and being like, wow. hey, um, we're auditioning, you're, it's pilot season, you're going in for this. And I was just like, cool, cool. 20 minutes later, the audition got canceled. And I was just like, okay, love it. And wow. from there, um, maybe like a couple hours later, my agency managers called me and they were just like, hey, so you're gonna go straight to test. And I said, "Wow!" I said, "We like to see it." I didn't do anything. Wow! You're a straight to tester. <laughs> Thank you. Congratulations. Um, I was like, "Wow!" I didn't. I did a whole run on Broadway, and then <laughs> here I am. Straight to test. I, by the way, the way you began the story, you know, I was finishing my run on Broadway. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that's the way I want yeah. to begin every Casual. sentence." It's like it's casual things. Just casual fabulousness. Um, it's just finishing my starring run. I got a standing ovation every night. Um, <laughs> no. And I flew out to Los Angeles to test for the role. And it start, the role itself was a 31-year-old bisexual black woman. I mm. was just like, I got black. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got one of those. <laughs> I got black. And if I'm drunk enough, I could be bi. Um, <laughs> Um, With enough then, of that whispering angel, right? Uh, enough of that whispering angel, honey, and <laughs> could be married. Um, but then, like, I was like reading it, and I found the actual like nuance of it of this character whose love of music really served them, mm. and they knew so much about the ins and outs, out ins and outs of what music is. And um, I got the part clearly. And yes. they started to form who I was and attach that to the character of Mo. 
Well, I think that that's beautiful and not enough shows do that. I mean, I, I sort of, um, you know, I saw what happened with, you know, people like Lena Waithe going out for roles that really weren't written for yeah. which lesbians, but it's like, well, let's figure this out for her. And, uh, you know, certainly on, on our show, Dear White People, people come in playing or auditioning for roles that it's not quite matching up with their actual race. So we just change the yeah. character so we can really talk <laughs> to it. What is that process like for you? Do you, do you go into the writer's room? Do you get pages and send them back with notes? Like, how does it... <laughs> No, I'm, I'm. This is all red. Sorry, I am literally old school acting. Yeah. I don't know why. I I am just like I will tell you my life story. I will give you all the tools that you need. I'll have yes. conversations. A lot of that is conversations, talking to Austin who created the show, and telling him life stories. Like, um, for this last season, he was like, "You're so strong. You're so confident. Where, where, where?" Where's the insecurity? Where's mm. the um, crack in the facade, if you will? And I was just like, well, I'm very insecure about a lot of things. And my confidence is my armor that I put on through the day so nobody can crack my own facade. Because yes. I already know what's going on here, but I don't want the outside world to see that. And right. that stems from never being truly accepted at church. Mm-hmm. And telling him that story and then him creating a version of something that is very personal to me. Um, but once on the page, I try my hardest to just stick to the page because at the end of the day, you wrote it. And wow. you trust me into embodying it. And I have to trust myself into embodying these words. Well, it certainly felt clear to me that um, the, the writers were very inspired by your particular spirit and set of circumstances. For people who you know are new to the conversation, don't know, you play a character named Mo, who is, I guess, gender non-conforming is, is really the best way to describe him. Um, yeah. He for for me is is the reason to watch this show, <laughs> and, and we're gonna watch just a little clip, which I think just showcases how wonderful you are in it, uh, and then we'll, and, and then we'll talk just a little bit more. What does it say? That I'll always have his support, and he'll be there for me whenever I decide to come back. All I wanted was to help. It didn't mean to ruin church for you. I know. I think when you crashed that rehearsal, I got scared because my worlds were colliding and it made me think of how big of a hypocrite I'm being. But clearly it's something you've been feeling for a while because you sang that song to me before I followed you there. Because I shouldn't be living two lives. I mean, how am I supposed to go up there and sing proudly in front of God and the congregation? Knowing that I'm lying, what kind of example does it set for those kids coming to service tomorrow? Well then, show up in your sparkliest dress and fear not. Isaiah 43.1. I'm doing my research. F sharp. Huh? That's the note you're making with your spoon. I have perfect pitch. The church organist discovered it when I was in the second grade. Until then, the only other person that made this little black boy who liked clomping around in heels feel special was my mom. But when I found out that I had something special in me that made people clap rather than call me a sissy, I knew I was special too. I mean, two weeks in the kids' choir and they moved me directly up to the adult soprano section. As they should have. Well, let's say that I wasn't exactly accepted by some of those pitchy sisters. Not because I sing better than them. 
which I do. They said I wasn't right with God. And they complained to the choir director who didn't care. And things got so bad that we just moved to another church and then it happened all over again. So from then on, I vowed to present mail any time that I was in the house of worship. But isn't it different this time? Pastor Steve seems so accepting. He is. But that's no guarantee that anybody else in those pews are going to be. So my only two options are to dress like a man and feel like a fraud. Or Okay, I need to breathe for a second because <laughs> that scene fucked me all the way up. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. You know, it was cathartic to do it. Um, it was, it, it, it's still, like, I've lived through it already so many sure. times. And so I can watch it now. At first I was just like, I can't watch that. Right, right. Because you, because this is, is this your, does this feel like autobiographical to you? Like, was that your experience? It, that, the, um, that whole wasn't, it wasn't, mm. but like the, um, I did have a pastor say to my mom that something wasn't right with me and that mm. I was, what I was, how I was living was a sin. Wow. And how did your mom and, respond to that? Um, she, to this day, I think she just kind of said that that's my child. I love him regardless. Mm. And, um, that's it. And she walked out. Wow. I, I, what I found so beautiful about this scene is, you know, I, I present differently, but I'm, I'm a gay, queer, black man. And frankly, my favorite people <laughs> were people like you who were gender fluid, sexually flu- like these, like I hung out with a lot of queers. Okay. I was yeah. from Texas and there weren't any steers present. So I hung out with what I had and mm. those were my favorite people. And it was so obvious to me that they were special in a good way. But there was this constant, you know, growing up in the South, this constant tension, specifically in the black community between like what queer, I feel like queer culture brings to the black community by way of gospel music, by way Mm -hmm. of singing, fashion, style. But we're sometimes invisible in our own communities. Was that your experience growing up? Like a hard fight? Yeah, I mean, it's growing up, my mother, my mother and my father, I can't just say my mother, my mother and father are from Alabama. My Mm. grandmother still lives there. Um, I would go back to church and I'd have to put on a suit just to get there. And I'd always feel uncomfortable going to a Southern Baptist church in Massachusetts. It was the same thing. Even if I have a sew-in down to my butt, I still out of just like everybody else and not wanting to talk about anybody, throw it up in a bun, put on a sweater and walk into the sanctuary. Um, We're so, we're asked to sing, we're asked to praise dance, we're asked to plan events, we're asked to um, help with so many aspects, um, praise and worship, videography, all these things. And as soon as we say something that goes against in their mind, their beliefs and ideology, we're deemed as sinners and wrong. Mm-hmm, but if you're mm-hmm. closeted about it and they don't know, it's fine. Right. And and the they don't know part is the tricky part because I remember the term gospel gay since I right. was when I was one myself. And yes. it was just a given that there were there were gay men and uh, you know, queer people, trans people before we had language for that even in exactly. the choir who everyone loved. Yes. And as long as they didn't talk about it, you know, we would all pretend like 
they were straight. It was brushing under the car- carpet. And it, yeah. it's, it's that stuff that I did kind of want to shed light on, that it's happening more and more and even more, that we need to start acting and preaching and doing what we're doing. Like, yeah. if you say love your neighbor as thyself, you have to actively do that. Right. Right. What do you, what, how do you, how are you feeling about it now? Um, have you made a personal peace with religion and uh, your queerness? I don't know what else to call it. I, I just feel like you're a ball of queer divinity. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, pr- I wish that was okay to say to someone, but it probably is. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, right now I'm good. I mean, yeah. my faith and who I am are very strong still to this day. Um, it's, I, I've always realized in the back of my mind that religion church is just a building and religion is first and to who you are as a person mm-hmm. and I my mom still attends that church and the pastor that told her that no longer is the leader of that flock and the pastor they have now is probably my second biggest fan after my mom wow I, I love to hear that because yeah. for me there's a relationship between queerness and divinity yes do you feel that way it is it, living your 100% truth and loving yourself wholly and respecting yourself wholly. Mm. I think that's beautiful. And um, I, I love to see it. It shouldn't be radical for someone no. to, like, for, like you to be themselves and to be able to do so in a very mainstream center of pop culture show like this. Um, but it is, and you are. And, you know, you, I can feel you in this role, and I'm I'm so grateful. Uh, just as a as a viewer, um, what are, what have been your favorite moments uh, of of doing Zoe? You, watching everybody else, I think that is <laughs> that is the biggest like joy because I've done this before. I'm no uh-huh. spring chicken to singing, dancing, and acting in front of the camera. This is the second time I've done it on a network television show. Um, but watching people who have quite literally never done it before. Like right. there's one thing of like being able to act in front of the camera or to separate it and sing in front of a camera. Like they're two different things, but once you have to put them both together and then add movement to it, honey, that's a whole different ball game because you have to be aware of everything around you. Yeah. People, cameramen, grips, focusers, um, background actors, the other actor that you're with. There are so many different tools and it's all for this teeny tiny lens. Yeah, yeah. Did you always know you were a show person? Oh yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, bigger, I'm bigger than hell. I'm oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what else. I, my cousin who passed um, at last, the end of last year um, would always ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always used to tell her, a superstar. Yes. And she called me her little superstar till her very last day. Like I was her little superstar forever and for always. And it's always run in the back of my mind of what a superstardom. And I think that it's being able to express your art on the largest scale for you at that purpose at that Mm -hmm. time. Now, there's a lot of people who tune in to Don't At Me and who might even be in the audience today that are trying to get to where you are. So let's, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about how you got there. How, how do you, how does Alex get to Broadway um, from Alabama? <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Oh, 
I was very fortunate that I didn't always grow up in Alabama because that would have added a whole nother layer of mm. leaving home. Sure. And that's always hard sometimes. But I grew up in Boston, a lot of miles out of Boston. And I did musical theater first. Yeah. Was it um, part of school? No. Um, I went to my local like regional theater out mm. there called North Shore Music Theater. And uh, my first show that I ever saw there was Ain't Misbehaving, which, yeah. praise God, that was the show that I saw. Just five Black people just being great, period. It. Yeah. Um, just being great, period. And it kind of formed me of what I kind of wanted to do and what I wanted to be. And so that was the blinders. I said, Broadway, 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 Broadway. I think right. it's always that spark of creation and a drive that really pushes you to obtaining your goal and you have to be steadfast in that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. That's, and, 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 you know, did you go to school for uh, performance? I, or? I was going to, um, I, once I did, once I saw Ain't Misbehaving, I immediately auditioned for their um, young performing arts program. And so I did a musical called Stuart Little, okay. musical of Stuart Little there, where I okay. played this, the star, Snowbell, the cat. And I kind of really loved it. That was my yeah. first production I ever done in my life. And I'm talking like it was full-fledged on the main stage at the theater, lights, costumes, wow. all the good stuff. And like to be like 11, to like see a show on the stage and then to be working on the stage is just like, I made it. This is big wow. time. Cause like I'm working at a theater, an equity house where professional actors come in and they get paid. So if I'm already on that stage where actors get paid to be on. Yes. Did you feel, did, like, you, did you feel protected yeah. by that experience in any way? I, when, I know when I was in performing arts high school, I, I felt protected there. I felt like yeah. I would not have been safe if I wasn't there. That's a, it, art, art spaces are the safe spaces because mm. there's literally no judgment. Yeah. There's zero judgment. Even when we're judging, we're still lifting you up at the end of the day. Yes. Um, but that theater meant so much to me personally because I did Stuart Little there. I did A Year with Frog and Toad there. I'd done the main stage Christmas Cow there. I did Tarzan there. I wow. did um, Thoroughly Modern Millie there. I did so many wow. different shows there My through, from 14 to 18. And I found out that I booked the Glee Project while sitting at that theater. Wow, that is that is wonderful, you know, because that is you were both very lucky, but obviously, like, you know, people saw the talent. Yeah. <laughs> Did I you mean, I, very lucky? I mean, I booked the Glee Project off of MySpace. Don't nobody know what MySpace wow. is in there. I do. <laughs> that was my aura as well. Um that's that's really incredible. And uh you know, it's so obvious that you have a lot of soul and a lot of spirit. Um, but that your voice is pretty darn singular. Um, did you know at that time that like singing was going to be a part of the mission, or was it musical theater, or what? Like you know, or was it just global superstardom? Like what singing was the was always the the the, the gig? Mm. At the end of the day, I was just like, ooh, I don't know if I'm a good actor, but I can sing. Mm. <laughs> and I think that was. I mean, I started singing when I was two. Yeah, I sang "Victory Is Mine" at our state fair. Wow. At two years old. Like, I knew. I knew that. And, like, when I really knew that this was something transcending more than the vessel is when 
you know, you sing at church and everyone starts crying and shouting and the Holy Ghost shows up and right. you're just like, what is happening? Why yes. are you crying? And for the longest time, I was just like, I must be terrible if people are crying. Wow. That wasn't, that wasn't it. You know, I think it's like a, it's a little secret that every person who's ever attended like a, a black church knows, but doesn't talk about, which is that queer yeah. people often bring the Holy Ghost <laughs> into those spaces. <laughs> and lead it. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And corral it and teach and others to join. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, okay. So you got Glee Project. Um, and then obviously you landed on Glee. Was Broadway knocking at your door at that point in time, or, or was that, were those things happening at the same time? Absolutely not. Broadway was not looking for me. <laughs> no. They did not see me. I called myself a Broadway socialite for the longest of time. Okay. Like, I knew everybody on Broadway. We were out at the bar drinking. We were having our kikis and everything, and I was not, never had I ever <laughs> been on a Broadway stage. Wow. So how did it happen? How did you get there? Oh my goodness. I remember I was teaching at an organization over the summer called Broadway Dreams. Mm. And just like being one of their celebrity teaching directors, whatever, faculty members. And I was at the Wallace Annenberg in Beverly Hills. And I was just like sitting there and texting with my agent. And she was just like, oh, hey, by the way, Michael Arden wants to have like a sit down meeting with you while he's in um, town. And I was wow. like, Michael Arden, who did uh, Death West and Spring Awakening, they were like, yeah, him. Wow. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. Okay, if he's free, I mean, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, whatever, I'm around, I'm just teaching. And he was like, they were like, well, he's at the Wallace Annenberg right now. So like, we'll see when his schedule aligns. And I was just like, I too am at the Wallace Annenberg, <laughs> right? now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. And they were like, why do you have to, never mind. Um, <laughs> will you go downstairs? <laughs> and so I went downstairs and we had not like, an awkward um, way to start at all. It's, no. Yeah. And so I was just like, hi, Michael. He was like, Alex. Like, and we had like a moment on stage and he was just like, hey, so I, always wanted to do once in this island in a parking garage. And I said, wow. He said, well, if you ever decide to do it on Broadway, call me because I don't do parking garages. <laughs> and we skipped that performance. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> I love um, that. I love that. First of all, I would like to stop right there. I love that you said that because most people would be like, yes, <laughs> whatever it was. Um, but I love that you asked for what you wanted. <laughs> well, it, it gets better after yeah. that. It's like I said, and the only role that I'm going to be playing in that is a soccer. I don't want wow. to play. I, I played Papagate in my uh -huh. younger years where uh -huh. I was the only black person in Wilson's Island. Wow. I did that. Um, wow. And then I was just like, this is the one that I want to play. And he was like, great, cool lovely meeting you and I said so pleasure and we went away I got an appointment to put myself on tape for the lab which is mm. basically figuring out the musical sure. and I never heard anything back and mm. years went by 
Wow. Like two years, maybe three. Wow. Because theater takes, people, Broadway it takes, takes so long to do. So people long. don't even realize, yeah, it takes years to mount a show. Um, and then I remember I was getting off a plane, getting onto a plane um, from Aspen, and I get an email as we're taking off, and it's just like, here's your appointment for Papa Gay in the revival of Buffalo's Island. As soon as I got up to 30,000 feet, I said, I can't make it, sorry. Because also Papa Gay was not what we were talking about. Papa Gay is not what I wanted. <laughs> not two minutes later, <laughs> it said, sorry, that was a mistake. We met Asaka. I said, exactly. I'll be there. Somehow my fit was freed up. Yeah. So, you know what? We're the airplanes turning around. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's stuff like that. It's just like, I always say, like, once you pass a point of doing so much hard work, you have to know what you want out of this career. Mm. And you have to like have your blinders on. You have to know what you are going to do and what you're not going to do. Before that, you can have the leeway of saying yes to a lot of things because you grow from knowing what you, you, you end on experience of mm -hmm. what you don't ever want to do again. Mm -hmm. Or what you're like, oh, I actually like that. I like that more than I like other that. So let me do more of that. And if I have to do some of that, I'll do some of it. I'm not mm. going to do all of it. I'm going to do some of it. Where, did, those, um, did those boundaries come in, in an experience or in a bunch of little experiences or like what, what, how, what made you that way? How did you, how did you have well, that sense of self of at that time? That I know that I don't want to ever do again. Like, mm -hmm. do I want to be on a campsite for three months, not getting all the sleep, filming a reality television show, to get onto a scripted television show. Absolutely not. But did it, check. But did it, did it. <laughs> I did that heavy work. Do I need to do it again? No. <laughs> I or think that's great. Even like doing this, doing Once of Thought, which I loved completely, dearly, moodily, madly, would I do that the same exact way? Absolutely not. Mm. Wow. So even now I'm growing in my experience of knowing what my body, my mind, and my heart are willing to take and go through. Right, right. All of, we all, I think we're always so ready to do that we're not ready to learn mm. at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, sometimes I find that we're, we've learned something, but we are afraid to apply that knowledge. And fail at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what I, again, what I think is so great about you is that, again, it shouldn't be radical that a person like you should play Osaka, but the, it is a radical moment. And not only do you show up as that character, but you teach us why, this is why we write primordial gods in yeah. our musicals in the first place, because, <laughs> you know, who fucking cares? Like, it's got to be the right soul for that part. I, I think you're the right soul for that part. Was Thank it wasn't you. everything you wanted it to be your Broadway experience? I didn't get my Tony, but that's fine. It's fine. You will. It's fine. And you it's will. Fine. It's going to come. And it when is. it gets here, I have the perfect spot for it. It's coming. But no, um, <laughs> it's, it was everything. It was, it was more than everything because what I got from that was, I could say a foot in the door. Mm. because when I tell you Broadway was not singing for me, mm. they were not singing for me. But as soon as my toe hit that sand, Ooh. they saw me. Yes, they did. And they could not unsee me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You did not waste that opportunity one bit. <laughs>
Let me tell you. Um, now, Brendan, I'm looking at you because there's a quite a few questions up in our Q&A tab. Do you have something you would like to ask uh, Alex on the behalf of the people? Yes, um, there are quite a few questions here. Um, Let's do one or two and then we'll take a, a fake break where we'll, we'll later add commercials and come back. <laughs> okay, uh, so here's one. I think this one is sent anonymously, but um, they asked, what advice do you have for someone who is constantly being told they don't look good enough or too heavy to be in this business? <laughs> I wow. used to get that. I used to get that a lot. Um, I was told that I was too big to play Lola in Kinky Boots. Mm. And when I got that call, I said, I'm, I'm only like 22. I'm not that big of a star. I'm, I'm like, of a name? Like, what do you mean? Yes, to the where? To play Lola. Where? <laughs> I, I wish. Said, oh, sorry. Just you talk. <laughs> no, it's just like, I'm sorry. I, and they were like, no, they think that your size is too big to play. I said, the show that talks about just being who you want to be, never let them tell you who you ought to be. I said, okay, you know, our time is coming. That's wow. what I have to say to that. It's, you know, people have these ideologies and these thoughts of how people should look, how people should dress, what people, what's attractive to you is not always attractive to the next person. Mm -hmm. And we have people who hold tall, blonde, blue eyed and skinny at the forefront of what what beauty is. Mm -hmm. And we're force fed that in media all the time that it became the norm and it's not. I always say you have love starts from within and it may come off as um, conceitedness and complacency, but you have to love yourself and you have to respect yourself first. Wow, well that, that is a beautiful segue into the next thing I wanna to talk to you about. <laughs> but first we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back with Alex Newell. And we're back. Uh, when you hear that as a podcast, there's going to be a whole commercial break there, but we just waited for a couple great. seconds. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, it's going to be an amazing commercial break. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to throw this, our next segment at you, which is at someone. Is there somebody uh, either on social media or in life, an artist, a friend that the rest of us should be knowing about, but that we don't yet? I'm always going to say Vincent Candy. Oh, like, do tell. I, I adore Vincent. I, when I was um, um, in, living in LA, um, I met Vincent, Vince, who now goes by Vincent, his full name. Um, wonderful singer, beautiful singer. Also, I envy Vincent's skin. Really? I have never looked at someone with hazel eyes and just the deepest, darkest, flawlessness of skin. Oh I'm my like, gosh. Oh, Who is this person? Where do we find him? Vincent, Vincent, what is Vincent's um, Instagram? Vincent Candy? Yes. Okay, Vincent Candy. Well, we will be finding out who you me. are, sir, with the beautiful skin and the beautiful voice. Yeah, it's just Vincent. Yeah, and C-I-N-T. C-I-N-T, okay. V-I-N-C-I-N-T, Vincent on Instagram. honey. Well, I love it. So one thing I, you were kind of heading towards, and I wanted, I totally wanted to have this conversation with you. I'm going to read something from an interview you gave to Stylecaster. Um, 
and you are talking about meeting your boyfriend here and you're saying, I was nothing like any of his six one white blonde, blue eyed, go to the gym nine times a day boyfriends. I was like, do you know that I'm five seven? I have thick thighs and my hair is black. <laughs> I had insecurities. <laughs> it was really hard to get out of that, but here I am, I've risen above it. Um, so this double standard of beauty norms, especially among queer people, Let's, let's, can we talk about that for a second? Because it is, it's wild. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about the experience of meeting your boyfriend first? Oh, that, ooh, I almost said that. <laughs> no, okay, we don't have to. <laughs> oh, my God, my, 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 my. When it becomes a gospel song, that's when you know it's tea. Very comfortable. <laughs> um, I said, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's good. Got it. So no, I can talk about him. He literally just texted me too. Um, I'm just like, how do you have this number? Listen, oh, if okay. you ever get sick of somebody and they call you and you don't want to talk to them, you say hello, and they start thinking you're like, who is this? Okay, first of all, you saying hello like that is the move. That's the move. <laughs> not not because what I would do is just let it go to voicemail. You're like. Hello? My mom hello. used to do that. She would pick up the phone and say hello, knowing good and well who it was. <laughs> hello? <laughs> it's like you could hear the, the hand pressing on the pearls through the phone. Who's this? <laughs> oh, hi, baby. How are you? <laughs> no, but listen, beauty standards are literally trash. Yes. I mean... To, and it stems from slavery. <clears throat> and what that means, like, you were deemed better if you were lighter. Mm -hmm. Because you wanted to be as close to white, because being white quite literally was a better life. Yes. It meant citizenship. It a better life. It meant you could take get a job and vote. Like, it meant, like, the difference between... It meant that you were a person. Yeah, yeah. If you were lighter, it meant if you were white, it was deemed that you were an actual human being and you weren't in the field being slaughtered, raped, and killed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's our period. And so we have always been quite literally trying to crawl our way back to that, to being a human where mm -hmm. we have flat irons and we have um, straighteners and we're getting perms. Mm -hmm. And then once, when white is up here, and everything is beneath. White, cis, straight. Everything's up here. Everything else, everything else is beneath that. Mm -hmm. It's like you have, okay, well, you're gay. You're down here. So you're a different kind of white. Mm -hmm. And so you're a white person trying to claw your way up to just being a normal person again. Right, right. And so in your own gay community, you're seen as the better one because mm -hmm. you're white. Mm -hmm. And it's just something, it's all trickle down. It will continue to be just trickle down into everyone creating a subsidiary in their own community. How do and we that, not, oh, go ahead. No, okay. and that's just, and that's truly how and where beauty standards come from because we're all trying to claw our way back up to something that we deem in our minds the best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, when we are surrounded by gay men in particular, and I would say white gay men who I think define gay culture, just like white people define culture, um, when they're all trying to claw their way up to being a real person, like you just described so beautifully, um, how do we keep from internalizing that? Like, 
when I, you know, when I, when I walk into a bar and nobody's interested in me because I'm a black guy or except for that one person who's too interested in me because I'm a black guy, like, mm-hmm. how do I not internalize that as something's wrong with me? I know I, something is wrong with me because I'm crazy. I walk into the room as if I'm better than everybody. Well, I think something is very right with you because it's not untrue. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, I'm better than everybody. I'm here to have fun. Yeah. I get enough of, it's, it's very hard because as a performer, as an actor, as a singer, I, my friend said this, I have to separate Alex Newell from the Alex Newell. Sure. Yeah. And it's very hard to do that separation mm-hmm. for me because at the end of the day, I see it as one vessel. And like, I get enough of, as a performer, you're always just like, I get little pieces of me taken away each and every ounce of my day. Mm-hmm. Please cry on cue, be funnier, mm-hmm. sing higher, sing it perfect, dance harder wear this, don't wear that, be in hair and makeup, do this, do that. And so it's just like, when I walk into a bar, it's like, I'm, my one goal is to have a good time. And mm-hmm. I do not care if all of you are going to reject me. I, at the end of the day, I'm going to have a good time. And for some strange and odd reason, that confidence pulls people to me. Oh, I can see that. So where I'm just like, Tom, if you don't leave me alone, just go away. <laughs> Go away. Yes, you can buy that drink. Yes, yes, daddy, you can buy. Yes, you can buy a drink, but then leave. You can buy a drink, but then go away because I'm not about to entertain you. I think you can't internalize it. You have to realize that people will come. Not everybody's going to love you. Everybody's going to like you, but the people that do will do it hard. Mm. And know that that person is just as flawed as you are. They're just hiding it better. Wow. That's really great. I, I wish we were friends when I went to bars in my 20s because that is not the loop that was playing in my head, but it should have been. I wish it was. I think what it is about you is like when a person, when I see you performing or even just when I hear you, like when I first heard uh, All Cried Out, okay, I didn't know who was singing that song, but <laughs> I knew it was um, a queer person, okay? I didn't know. I don't know who she was, who he was, but I knew somebody <laughs> gay was singing that song and I, it spoke to me. But what it is, is like, I, there's freedom in you. You, you are fr- a free person when you're on stage and when you're singing. And it, of course, people are flocking to you because nobody feels that free, uh, especially, you know, the default people. Not the default people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna play one more clip, and then we're gonna we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk. Okay. Love it. Love it. Let me awkwardly share the screen. Just apropos of nothing, <laughs> I just wanted to share that. <laughs> Period. Well, Period. What was that? What was that like? What was that all about? <laughs> um, I'm sitting in my um, kitchen in Vancouver, 
And um, my publicist yes, is like, "Kitchen Vancouver, you know how to begin a story. That's for sure." <laughs> it's called bougie. <laughs> I love it. I was sitting in my lofted apartment in Vancouver, mm -hmm. just before, just after one Broadway run, but before another. <laughs> and um, my publicist was just like, "Hey, Aubrey Plaza wants to know if it's okay if she calls you," and I was just like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> sure, that's fine. And then it was just like, hey, Alex. I was like, oh, hi, Aubrey Plaza. How are you, honey? <laughs> Knew who that was. <laughs> yeah, I, lo I, love when you, I love when you got to call them both names. That's my favorite part. <laughs> Hello, Aubrey Plaza. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Full name each time. Um, but Aubrey Plaza, I'm kidding. <laughs> she was just like, yeah, I have this idea. I'm hosting the image as Spirit Awards. And I've been Spirit Awards. And I like want you to be a part of this like chorus that we're doing at the end. And I was just like, okay. Love it. Little did I know that it was the, like the, the weekend. <laughs> but was, I mean, singing for Laura Dern in front of Shia LaBeouf, in front of Adam Sandler, in front of J Lo. Oh, God. Everyone oh, I mean, wishing they could be as free as you. <laughs> uh, I just love it. Do you feel? Um, do you feel ever that like uh, pressed to? You, you talked about the Alex Newell versus Alex Newell. Do you ever feel pressed to like be in character, like? You know, when a fan comes up or you're in a, situ a very public situation, but you're just tired, do you ever feel like the, you got to just put them on <laughs> a little bit? You know, when I was younger, there was a full light switch. <laughs> and my mother would always call it out. She was just like, oh, who was that? Because you were very silent this morning. <laughs> I like that. Like, it was just that. But then as, like, I get older, it's just like, child... Either I'm going to say hi or I'm going to say hi. So just say hi. You don't have to say, oh, my God, hi, how are you? Thank you so much. Right. Thank you. This is right. like, thank you. Moving on. I'm still drinking. Have fun. Yeah, I love it. But it's, that's you... also why I moved to New York, honey, because these hoes don't care. Well, they don't. I feel like, I feel like people have no chill in New York. They don't give a darn. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sitting there like, y'all yeah, uh, don't. Do we not know they who? Don't see me? <laughs> like Excuse Medea me. I, it's like Medea and I bam. She don't see me. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. I could talk to you forever. Um, okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about activism because you are very involved with the Trevor Project and Glad. You had a hashtag movement called Unmute and Why. Talk to me about. Um, your balance between you know what you do as a performer and sort of engaging in these social issues you know my performance and who i am as a person are hand in hand mm. and um amber riley you know my good sis my good yes, beauty who we all love started um a mutiny and it is basically us as black performers have been walking through hollywood hollywood um being quiet and not saying much and not speaking up to our coworkers or our bosses or anything. And it's time's up. It mm. is, it's done. And yeah. that is me. Like I can't walk onto set on into hair and makeup with my hair wet mm. and hope they'll do it. That's now luxury that I have. Yes. I have to come with it dry and pray to God they don't dry it out even more. Yes. Yeah. It's stuff like that or having to literally meticulously watch a makeup artist who didn't go to school 
for black skin, which mm-hmm. did, or didn't learn it and only really knows colors. Right. And have to watch to make sure I'm not orange or make sure I'm not blue mm. or I'm not like ashy. Right. It's right. like that. And just like how we're deemed as um, difficult if we mm. say anything. Sure. Or a diva. We're dismissed as a diva. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, you're a diva. Just having one of your episodes right now. Or even to the point where, <clears throat> excuse me, it gets to a point sometimes where <clears throat> you're walking into an audition and they're like, could you be more sassy? Oh, the oh, word oh, sassy oh. could never be said again and I would be fine. <laughs> it is the I worst said, word. <laughs> what that mean? What you mean? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> you've also seen me get real. <laughs> you're gonna I see could, <laughs> but you don't want that. <laughs> you don't want that. Like I went in for Heather's a TV show that the mm. network was doing, and I'm gonna forget they were just like, "Oh my God, like you're perfect at being mean." Like I didn't think this was your archetype. I said, "You didn't think that I could act? Is that what you were trying to say? Is that is that what I just heard through my ear? Let, let me move my hair really quick. Is that mm-hmm. really what you meant to mm-hmm. say? It's that stuff. So when action comes up in my life, it's just like, I'm just fighting for the right to just live now. Right, right. Just to be just in to the be. same room as a full human being with the same dignity that anybody else would have. Just to be. Yeah. That's, and that's it. So I do work because I want to see our youth of tomorrow actually be alive to tomorrow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially the work that i've done with um trevor this past um couple weeks with diet coke and trevor it's like we wanted to give the money to trevor because our lgbt youth are in conditions where they're literally not accepted mm-hmm. and they don't have that outlet because they're stuck inside because there's a pandemic happening outside right. Right. and their only option is the last resort and right. that shouldn't be. They should have tools and necessary um, things that can help them see just to see tomorrow. Right, right. I think that's beautiful. You're such a beautiful person. And I've been so selfish. I haven't been letting any of these audience questions through because <laughs> I'm just talking to you. So, Brennan, come on in here. Let's let's get at least um, a couple questions to Alex uh, from, from our, our beautiful audience. Yes. Uh, all right. So I'm going to do a two-in-one situation. I'm going to ask two questions. Um, one is, what was the best part of working on Zoe Extraordinary Playlist? And what has been the most impactful experience in Hollywood for you? Um, the best part, like I said, is watching uh, my fellow actors. But like, I get to work with Oscar winner Mary Steenburgen on a regular <laughs> Mm-hmm. I get to work with Lauren Graham on a regular. I get to work with Peter Gallagher on a regular. Uh, and I get to share a story that's so near and dear to my heart that relates to so many other people. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I never really saw myself on television, like saw me. Like mm-hmm. even watching Glee, it was let me latch on to Amber Riley, Sir Mercedes and Kurt, and then right. find a hybrid of me. Right. And for me to sit and represent a hybrid of a person just wanting to live in their own truth and right. live in their own ministry of life, that's the blessing and the best thing about my job. And the biggest thing, what was the last second part of the question? Only they. Brendan. 
<laughs> what, um, sorry, wait, wait, what was it? Oh, what has been the most impactful experience in Hollywood for you? Impactful Hollywood experience. I mean, sitting down with Apple Moses, <laughs> Apple and Moses, Gwyneth Paltrow's kids. Oh! And honestly, sitting on Glee and like sitting down with her kids, I was just like, y'all are normal. <laughs> that has always been so like you hear these these like names that kids don't have people don't have and no. you're thinking that oh my goodness that child's gonna be like a lot they are the most well-spoken well-behaved smartest normal kids i've ever met in my life wow. and i was just like you can have all of this and still raise two beautiful children Right. Now that is the, because you think Hollywood, you're thinking that these kids are a mess, but no, yes. they are so normal. That's great. That's great. And I mean, the name thing is hilarious. When black people get made fun of for our names, I'm like, people are walking around being named after fruits, everyone. And they're apparently very lovely. They are so <laughs> lovely. Now, Watermelon right. is not. Watermelon though, has been systemically oppressed and erased <laughs> and... Her name was not exalted by the public, and it <laughs> no, should be. <laughs> I low-key need to work that into something. Thank you. Um, okay, so we're going to play a game that is in no way derivative of any other games or television shows or talk shows, especially not Watch What Happens Live, where I'm going to ask you three questions, and you can say don't at me to one of the questions. I can already tell you're not going to have any problem with these, but should you need a don't at me, you can have one. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so first question is, are you Team Simon or Team Max? Team Simon, I'm rooting for everybody black. Okay, that was fast. That was a really quick answer. I knew, I knew you were going, don't add, the, don't add that one. I'm also Team Simon, Lord have mercy. Hello. It doesn't matter. I'm a married man, hi, I love you, babe. Okay, um, the next question is, if you could revive one role to play on Broadway, what would it be? What's the dream role? <gasps> I just need a moment with that. Okay, hold on. Can you say it again? Can you say it again? Effie Dream Girl, honey. Effie Melody White. Wow. People, the kids are. Like, you don't know what it's like to be Effie. And I was just like, to be fat, to be black, to be always the most talented Alex. in the room, but also just like discast because your deem's not pretty enough because you don't have the voice that that person thinks is successful. Now, can I riddle you this? Would you, would gender not be an issue? Would you work, would you want to work that into the story? And I'm only asking because like my inclination when I hear things like that is like, absolutely, let's figure it out, let's do it. But then let's also like tell the real. What, what, do you care? Like, do you like? I'm open what is it to, to anyone willing to pay me to do it. Okay, I love it. Well, I, this is something I would love to see. I would love to pay to see it. I don't think I have enough to pay for you to appear on Broadway, but I, I will chip in. Um, <laughs> Okay, and again, you're not going to say don't add me to any of these, but I, I really like this question. I have my answer. If you had to spend your lockdown with just one character from Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, who would it be? Zoe. Lovely. I would have picked Mo. <laughs> and that's an option? No. No, no, no. One of us would end up dead. It's true. <laughs> Baby, that's I, too much. I, that's too much energy. <laughs> because listen, people like you and Mo are so much alike, and I was just like, "Have you seen Mo's apartment?" 
come to my house to see my apartment. <laughs> it don't look like that. What does your apartment look like? Minimalist and sterile. Oh, okay. Same thing in my house. I this doubt that. Well, you have to pop. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> the my focus has to be on you. Thing. The fur closet is the most interesting thing. The fact that there's even a closet just for the furs is interesting in and of itself. I will give you that. Well, I'm not a barbarian. Of course not. They have to be. Per- they have to be carefully protected. Okay, it's so controlled. <laughs> I'm obsessed with you. I hope everyone else is. You better get all your flowers. And I'm so excited that um, Zoe's back for another season, and we get more of you uh, and the and that wonderful show. Final segment. We're calling note to self. Mm-hmm. Um, what's one thing that you would tell yourself now uh, that you may be needed to hear when you were just starting out? I keep saying this, that um, <clears throat> you're worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that a lot of people hear that enough. And they always try to change themselves to fit into a box that's appeasing to other people. And to... Um, to fit in really with a larger group of people, but there's so much beauty in difference and there's so much talent in difference mm. and there's so much grace in difference. You are all worthy and your life is, your life is acceptable to live. And I want a lot of people to hear that and let that resonate because a lot of people are very afraid just to live and live in their own truth, be them own selves, um, have the friends that are different from the mm. normal friends. I think that we're all trying to fit into these boxes to be accepted and we're changing ourselves and we don't need to. Well, that was a word. Thank you, Alex. It has been such a pleasure meeting you and um, fangirling all over you and you totally handling it well. And this has been so insightful and wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Thank you to everyone that joined us uh, from your various homes. I think this is the most we've ever gathered for this show. And the actual podcast will be live uh, in just a few weeks. So congratulations to you, Alex, and good luck with everything. I hope this isn't the last time I get to talk to you. Come on, just email me, text me, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and all that good stuff. Bye, baby. All right, it's time for the credits. We got Jason Smith, CEO of Starburns Audio, our producer. Jessica Gutierrez, our audio engineer. Judith Cargbo, our production coordinator. Chris Bowers did the theme song. Dominique German, my cuzzo, did additional music. And shout out to Aaliyah Jihad and Brendan Smith for producing this episode on behalf of Culture Machine. Podcast Network. Do you follow automotive news or do you just like cars and want to see what the heck's going on? Well, then you might like Donut Media's new podcast, The Big Three. Hi, I'm James Pumphrey, and every week, me and my co host slash two of my top five friends, Nolan Sykes and Joe Weber, unpack the latest and greatest in automotive news and trends on The Big Three. You'll also get a lot of laughs, hot takes, and personal insight on cars from the biggest car guys in automotive media. So, whether you're a hardcore enthusiast or just a person who goes, up, that's a good looking car. <laughs> Check out The Big Three, available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can watch the full videos at Donut Podcasts on YouTube.